A third solution. Neither of these solutions does justice to the evidence of the biblical documents. In both cases, large sections of the available data are simply not being taken into account. The suggestion that Jesus did not in fact claim to be the Messiah would render the whole New Testament fraudulent, but it is no less problematic to argue that Jesus abandoned the Jewish Old Testament national hope for a worldwide messianic government foreseen by all the prophets. Ample evidence exists in the New Testament to show that he did no such thing. There remains therefore a third option. With his contemporaries, Jesus normally used the phrase kingdom of God to describe the new worldwide political order on earth promised by sacred scripture. But he and his apostles sometimes extended the term to include a preliminary and preparatory stage in the divine plan for the kingdom. Number one, that would be his announcement of the messianic kingdom of God in advance of its establishment worldwide at Jesus' return to the earth in power and glory. Two, a demonstration of the kingdom's power invested in Jesus and his chosen followers manifested in their healing and exorcism. Three, the recruiting of disciples through Jesus' ministry and their training for leadership in the future messianic kingdom, as well as participation in the announcement of the kingdom prior to its coming. Four, the death of the Messiah for the sins of the world. Number five, his ascension and session at the right hand of the Father as predicted by the all-important Psalm 110 verse 1. This verse is cited or alluded to in the New Testament more than any other Old Testament passage. It is obviously of the greatest importance for our understanding of apostolic Christianity. That citing of Psalm 110.1 would be pending his return to inaugurate the kingdom as the renewed social and political order on earth. It's important to note that these preliminary developments in preparation for the kingdom were not clearly distinguished by the Old Testament prophets from the full establishment of the kingdom worldwide, though in retrospect we can see plain indications of the two phases of the divine program scattered throughout Old Testament scripture. In traditional Christianity, talk of the kingdom of God as in some sense a description of the Christian life now has overshadowed to the point of obscuring and even eliminating the kingdom as the future establishment of the divine rule worldwide, which for Jesus and the whole New Testament, as well as for the prophets, is to be the great event inaugurated by his second coming. We can compare the Century Bible, Introduction to Thessalonians. It has been recently argued that the kingdom of God was the principal topic in the teaching of Jesus, who, whenever he spoke of the kingdom of God, meant that triumphant new order of the future, which would be set up on his return to the world in glory with the angels. The references to Johannes Weiss in his book Predigt Jesu vom Reich Gottes, Jesus' Proclamation of the Kingdom. Weiss rightly saw that Jesus spoke always of a real kingdom of the future. He then proceeded to tell us that such teaching was irrelevant for us now. 
The kingdom taught by Jesus is first and foremost the new order on earth associated with a great future crisis in history to be marked by his return, his parousia, in power. For Jesus, the kingdom had not yet come. Its coming is to be prayed for, as in Matthew 6, verse 10, thy kingdom come. Joseph of Arimathea was waiting for the kingdom, Mark 15, 43. Certain if the power of the kingdom had been displayed in his ministry, but this was only a foretaste of the coming of the kingdom, which still lay in the future and depended entirely on the return of Jesus as king to set it up. If the New Testament is read with a perspective which sees both the present preliminary manifestation of the spirit and power of the kingdom, as well as its future worldwide visible inauguration and establishment at the second coming, it becomes clear that Jesus never for one moment deprived the kingdom of God of the political and territorial significance given to it by the prophets and incorporated into Jewish religion as the nation's great hope. Jesus did not, however, at his first coming, expect to introduce the messianic kingdom as a worldwide political empire. Nevertheless, all his teaching was directed toward preparing his followers for the future arrival of the messianic kingdom. At the end of his ministry, he submitted himself to crucifixion at the hands of Roman and Jewish authorities, promising that he would return after resurrection and an interval unspecified to inaugurate the kingdom politically, both in Israel and universally. This resolution of the divine drama would fulfill in every detail the predictions of the Old Testament prophecy as well as vindicating Jesus' claim to messiahship. The Christian future is never a departure to heaven at death. It means gaining immortality at the future coming of Jesus with a view to ruling with Jesus on a renewed earth. That's found in Daniel 7, verses 18, 22, and 27, and in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, 26 to 27, chapter 5, verse 10, and chapter 20, verses 1 to 6, etc. The Century Bible, Introduction to Thessalonians, what the Jews looked for at the first coming of Christ, the Christians were inclined to look for at his second coming.